This is Curious Minnesota, a Star Tribune project that sends staff from the state's largest newsroom hunting for the answers to great questions we receive from you, our readers. We're here to answer everything you want to know about the state's people, places, and culture. Welcome to Curious Minnesota. I'm your host, Eric Roper. On today's show, we are talking about Prince, who, it goes without saying, is among the most famous celebrities ever to hail from Minnesota. Prince grew up in Minneapolis, but as he developed into a pop sensation, he chose to make his home in the western suburb of Chanhassen. But why Chanhassen? That's what a reader asked Curious Minnesota, and that's what we'll be discussing today with Star Tribune music critic John Bream, who has been covering Prince since the 1970s. Here's my conversation with John. Well, John, thanks so much for joining us today. So, all right, we're going to be talking about Prince. First, I want to set the scene about you. You began covering Prince, is it in 77? Is that right? Yeah, that was the first time I uh, actually encountered him in his professional career. Okay. I went out to uh, the studio he was recording in Sausalito, the record plant, and he was recording his first album all by himself, and I went there. And not only he wouldn't talk to me, he wouldn't do anything while I was in the studio. He just sat there behind the drum and hitting the cymbal one (laughs) note at a time until I left. Okay. But you got to know him better over the years. Uh, I knew him for, I think, six years before he looked me in the eye. Okay. So you you spent a lot of time building up this relationship with Prince. It's a long relationship from 1977 until today. Still covering him. Okay. So, all right, to tell this tale about Prince and Chanhassen, we have to start in Minneapolis just to kind of like get Prince's life story established. So Prince is born in Minneapolis. Whereabouts is he kind of hanging out in Minneapolis? What What is he doing? In his childhood, he kind of shuttled between the north side and the south side. Mm -hmm. He eventually graduated from Minneapolis Central High School. Okay. And then pretty much it was on to his professional career. He graduated in 76. He signed his record deal in 77. And meets you (laughs) around the same time, right? So this is formative Prince years. He's got a new record deal. And he meets you, and also that's where the story begins uh, because he now gets an apartment in sort of, not uptown, but sort of near Franklin Avenue and Aldrich kind of area. Yeah, 20-something uh, Aldrich Avenue, you mm-hmm. know, right, right around the corner from Rudolph's where he used to hang out. Okay. The rib place, open late night, good, right. good place to hang. He okay. lived there with his boyhood buddy, Andre Simone, who was also the bass player in his band. And Andre told me, he said, you know, it got a little too crazy there. People started coming over, looking Mm -hmm. for us. They knew we were there. We had to move somewhere else. Because he's getting kind of famous at this point, or or, or is it just locally famous, maybe? He was locally famous, you know, from being in a few high school bands that he was in, but now he got the record deal. So, you know, the buzz was building, and people knew he signed a record contract and all of that. Okay. So, you know, he, he became a, a little bit of a local celebrity because we're always hard up for local celebrities. <laughs> right. So his first album comes out in 78, and he's he's ready to make a move out of this. I mean, at some point in this period, he's, he's moving out of this Aldrich place. Where does he end up? He kind of goes to the city limits, essentially. Well, he wanted to get away. He wanted to get into the suburbs, and he ended up moving to France Avenue, which was the borderline of Minneapolis and Edina, mm-hmm. he technically lived on the Minneapolis side, mm-hmm. but he was in a house there. His drummer, Bobby Z, found the house for him. Okay. 
But you know what? When you rehearse in the basement of a house on a busy street like that and you're up until all hours of the morning, neighbors don't like that. Sure, I can imagine. So there were a couple calls to the police and uh, they decided time to move. Okay, so he had, he moved out of the core but not far enough at this point. He and so he keeps going <laughs> essentially. So this is where we kind of get into the western suburbs, right? Is when as the prince evolution here as he's moving out west. Well, yeah, he discovered he needed to purify himself in Lake Minnetonka sure. before he shared that with anyone. <laughs> right. So he moved out to Orono. Oh, okay, Orono, all right. Okay. And how did do we know how we got that spot? One of the associates of his manager. He had a new manager, an L.A.-based manager. Mm -hmm. They assigned some guy to help him out in the Twin Cities, and that guy, his name was Perry Jones, found the house for him. Okay. So he's out in Orono, and uh, is there anything sort of, this is around 79, so there's not a lot of time has passed in sort of from his first record deal. He's kind of bopping around to these different places. Right, yeah, I mean, and you know, he's out of town a great deal. He's he's either recording out in the West Coast or he's touring. Okay, and then is there anything significant about the Orono place? Because we're about to get to Chanhassen, the big... The big topic of our conversation. Well, it was on Lake Minnetonka. Oh, okay. So this is where he kind of discovers Lake Minnetonka, well, we essentially, think. or whatever, I, I mean, as he, a home. He, yeah, he may have discovered it, you know, in his youth or something. Right, but as far as living there. But living on Lake Minnetonka, yes. Oh, okay. So, and I'm sure it made an impact on him. Yeah. But he was kind of out already in the middle of nowhere. He liked being isolated. Okay. So, all right. You know, the question asker is asking, you know, why did Prince live in Chanhassen? He he becomes synonymous with this suburb, which back when he moved there, there wasn't really much there. And we'll talk about that a little later. So what what happens now? So he, he does find a place in Chanhassen, right? And so how did that all transpire? I believe it was sort of December or January of 1980 going mm-hmm. into 81. He moved into a house on Kiowa Trail. It's like Iowa with a K in front of it. Okay. It's on Lake Riley. Mm -hmm. Why someone found that house for him, we don't know. I don't think he was the one out looking with the realtor, going around, you know, looking at all kinds of houses. But he was liking this part of town generally, seemingly. He was liking being away from the city. Right. And, you know, he needed to get away. They found him the place. It was on a lake. It was isolated. He ended up buying the lot next to him, Mm -hmm. putting a big fence around it. And not that he wanted to call attention to himself, but he painted the house purple. Yeah, right. Is that house still around, or is that? No, no, that house doesn't exist. Okay. And you wrote in the story that this house was actually the scene of many significant recordings, right? Right. His uh, Controversy album was recorded there, uh, the 1999 album, the First Time album, the Vanity Six album, and then the Posthumous album that came out, Piano and Microphone, 1983, mm-hmm. was recorded in that house. Okay. So, I mean, one thing about this and why we introduced you at the beginning is that I knew that if anybody could sort of get to the bottom of this question, it was John. And you knew, you were sort of saying, well, okay, here's the people that would have known, like the manager. You knew all the players and who was alive and yeah, who was not yeah, alive. I mean, so to answer the question, like who were the sources that we wish were maybe still around to tell us the answers to this? But uh, Well, Prince, but you know, right. Prince would never answer such mundane questions like <laughs> why did you choose that house or right. why, why Chanhouse? And I mean, like when Oprah asked him why he lived in Minneapolis, he said to keep the bad people out. Mm. Um, and, you know, there's a lot, some truth to that statement. You know, I mean, he doesn't mean keeping the criminals out or, or, you know, the 'er ne'er-do-wells. What he meant by that, I think, to some extent, as Bobby Z explained it to me once, it's keeping the record executives out. Mm. Prince didn't like 
people looking over his shoulder. He didn't like people meddling with him. He wanted to create. He wanted his own freedom. And by being in isolation in Minneapolis, you didn't have these record executives coming visiting you in the studio. Hey, what are you doing? Give us right. a preview. He didn't like that. Okay. So that was one of the advantages of being in Minneapolis. And not only was he not in Minneapolis proper, he was way out in the burbs. Right, right. But to answer the question of who probably found the house, I'm guessing the key player was Steve Farnoli. Okay. Steve was the manager in charge of Prince's day-to-day activities and was with him much of the time. Unfortunately, Steve passed away of cancer in 2001. So this manager, Farnoli, is that how you pronounce yes. his name? Okay. So he has passed away in 2001. You spoke to Morris Day, though, who had some theories about sort of how this all yeah. happened, that he ended up in Chanhassen, that Prince ended up in Chanhassen. Because Morris, you know, he was in the time, so he was hanging out with Prince a lot in 1981 because the, the time was essentially a creation of, of by Prince and Morris together. Prince wrote the material, Morris sang the material. Mm-hmm. And so they were together a lot. He was out in the, the Chanhassen house a lot, the one on Kiowa Trail. Morris just said he liked to be far away from people. Okay. Prince just wanted to be isolated. And so it's around this time that he's also, I mean, he's doing recordings in his home studio, but he's also doing, as it rehearsals and things? There's these other sort of properties uh, that he's using for recordings, or, or is it just rehearsals? It's it's for rehearsals and and some for recording somewhat, too. Well, okay. recording with a bigger band. Mm-hmm. When they first started the band, they rehearsed on the West Bank, a place called Dell's Tire Mart. Tire, it's like a tire store? It was a tire store. It was, yeah, in a okay. warehouse. Their equipment got stolen, so they decided we don't want to be there. They went to a place on Lake Street for a while, then, you know, too noisy. Then they moved to a, an old auto parts store in St. Louis Park. And then they keep moving further west. Then they went to the place on Flying Cloud Drive mm. um, out in Eden Prairie and another place in Eden Prairie. You know, because he would go on tour, and then all of a sudden that warehouse space wasn't available anymore, so they'd have to find a new space. Okay, all but, right. But he had a habit of, uh, I don't know if you want to call him interior decorator or what he was, but he, he had a way of transforming these rooms into a, you know, purple magic kingdom. Right. He would hang these tapestries and all sorts of things in his incense. And, you know, you'd be in a concrete warehouse and all of a sudden he would make it into this right. really homey, mystical space. Well, and that's sort of, that's a good segue to to Paisley Park in a sense. I mean, you, you mentioned in the story how he got inspired by going to Earth, Wind & Fire's complex, I guess, quote-unquote complex is no, the that, name the, of it. No, the name of it was The Complex. The Complex, right, in California. And so what like that? What was that? That was like kind of a multi-purpose facility or of some sort? That, right. Yeah. It, it was a, a soundstage and recording studio, and they went out there to film some interior scenes. You know, mm-hmm. they filmed most of Purple Rain in the Twin Cities. Then they had to redo some interior scenes. And so they went to California where people were more experienced at making movies than they were in the Twin Cities here. Mm -hmm. And they went to the complex because Prince's managers, Cavallo, Ruffalo, and Farnoli, also managed Earth, Wind, and Fire at one point. So, you know, connections, you go where you know somebody. Right. And I think he became enamored with um, the complex. And, of course, Prince, I want one of those for me. Yeah. And I want it yesterday. Right. (laughs) <laughs> sure. And so he's scoping out Chanhassen, and, and so this is where Paisley Park kind of comes into being. How does that, how did that material? He first bought a mansion somewhere? 
Well, he had the Kiowa Trail place. Mm-hmm. Then he moved, he bought a mansion on the other side of Highway 5 on Galpin Boulevard, it's called. It was a house that already existed, but it was a much bigger house. So he, he bought that place. And then, you know, that was about 85 that he bought that place. And then in 86, they started building Paisley Park. Okay, so the mansion to, was just a stopover thing. Okay, it wasn't involved in Paisley Park or anything. No, no. Yeah, okay. I mean, the mansion was a place he lived in and, right. until he tore it down when he got his second divorce. Okay. And Which then, is another long story we yeah. won't get into in this conversation. <laughs> but so he was living in the mansion while they were uh, building Paisley Park. And then his father moved into the Purple House on Kiowa Trail. Oh, okay. And his father lived there until his father passed away. Right. So Paisley Park becomes not just a residence, but a destination for, well, I mean, d- describe Well, it, Paisley it wasn't Park. intended yeah. as a residence. It was, okay. it was intended as a, uh, his version of the complex, call it the Purple Playground, whatever you want to call it. You know, it was a recording, it had three recording studios, there were rehearsal halls, it had a giant soundstage where they filmed commercials. Other tours came and rehearsed there. You know, the Bee Gees came and rehearsed, and Barry Manilow and people, you know, seemingly, seemingly having no connection to Prince right. would come and rehearse at Paisley Park. They, right. they filmed, uh, you know, TV commercials. And, you know, it, I mean, there's a giant soundstage there. Right. I was just going to note that one of our commenters on this story uh, noted that I, the person said, I was in high school when Paisley opened, and on weekends we would drive out to Chanhassen to gaze at it at night. Back then it was this mysterious purple spaceship in the fields occupied by one of the world's famous people. So, I mean, it, I like that comic because it kind of just, the mystery of this new huge thing that's being built and kind of, I mean, is it the middle of nowhere? I mean, it's kind of a well, big undeveloped when it, spot. when it was built, it was the middle of nowhere, but it didn't look like a spaceship at all. Okay, yeah, I it, mean, it looked like <laughs> it's a, a metaphorical spaceship. Yeah, right? it looked like a, a tip, well, surprisingly, it looks very, you know, ordinary, like a typical right. industrial suburban building. It's white, it's plain. Right. It never had a sign on it when he was there. But he bought lots of farmland before doing this. Like, I mean, is that right? Like kind of undeveloped space, I, yeah, essentially? Yeah, I, I think he, he probably invested in some real estate out there. And he bought some other houses over the years that, you know, some of his uh, associates lived in. Yeah. But when he opened Paisley, so he built it in 86, it opened in 87, there wasn't much between you know, where Chanhassen Dinner Theater is, because that opened in 66. And then Prince's next neighbor would have been the Landscape Arboretum. Right. Right down Highway 5. Yeah. There was hardly anything in Chanhassen. Then. So the Chanhassen we know today, which is, you know, it's a it's a thriving suburb uh, in the West Metro. Like it it was not, that was, it was still very much a, uh, a small affair back then, or, you know, there wasn't much to it. Yeah, it wasn't until the 90s that they got a Target and later Cub and Lunds and mm-hmm. things that we identify with, you know, Panera, you know, every, right. every suburb's got to have one of those. You could go see him at the Caribou. He'd go pick up Caribou. They would make late night runs to Lunds back then, you know, 24-hour store. He often rented the Chanhassen movie theaters late at night for private screenings. He would just buy out the whole theater and he would take a bunch of people over there. Okay. Um, you know, he had bicycles. He, he would ride around the neighborhood, you know, yeah. and he was supportive of the neighbors. He donated anonymously, you know, money to 
the childcare place down the block and, and other businesses in the area. Yeah. I always tell people to go read the comments on some of these stories because people leave such interesting anecdotes. One person said, been in Chanhassen for 30 years, saw him in the Chanhassen Cub Foods once at 3 a.m. According to the cashier, she said he was always a late night shopper. Another person said, uh, I live on the border of Eden Prairie and Chanhassen. I remember seeing him riding his bike around town. He was always friendly to locals and fans. Um, he's a huge part of Minnesota history. And then another person said, I remember seeing him, Rosie Gaines, and another person eating at Subway in Eden Prairie in the early 90s. Such a great memory. So I don't know. Just these these are fairly you know mundane observations, but just to see this famous person just kind of hanging around your neighborhood must have been quite a sight. And, you know, people liked him being there. They were proud of it, but they didn't hassle him. Mm -hmm. You know, it would be a thrill if he pulled up in one of his many cars next to you. Yeah. And you might wave to him and he might acknowledge you. And that was it. You know, people weren't going up and ask to take a picture or selfie or, you know, get an autograph. Right. Is this, I mean, is Prince someone who left behind a lot of mysteries like this? Or is this sort of like, I mean, I know so much has been written about this person that I expected this answer was going to be like really straightforward. And it wasn't. I mean, it was kind of like there were people that had some ideas and what have you. But I mean, I don't know, is that kind of the nature of Prince that there was a lot of mysterious things like that? Or is this unusual? That was the nature of Prince. Some of it was sort of self-styled mystery. You know, he, he'd like to be mysterious. You mm-hmm. know, he made up false information, misinformation, as we now call it, in his bio when he first started out. Okay. And that's just the way he wanted to be. You know, you got to realize Prince existed before the internet, you know, before 24-7 news about everything that everyone does. Mm -hmm. You know, he didn't want people in his face. He didn't want people in his business. He liked mystery. And the answer to this question is essentially Prince liked isolation. He had, and then he ended up having a lot of big dreams as to like what he wanted to do with the physical space of that isolation. And so a place in the West Metro offered him a lot of opportunities to do and that. And he liked Minneapolis. So what he, what he ended up with was isolation in Minneapolis. Yeah. And so today, just to sort of put a, a closing on this, I mean, so Paisley Park is a, is a museum, right? I mean, it's, it's still going uh, after his death. And so, I mean, like, what is it like today for people who haven't been there? I haven't been there, uh, but I've read about what's been going on out there. But it's still happening. What, what's out there? Well, you have to put it on your bucket list. <laughs> okay. Um, it, it's a museum that's open for tours. They occasionally have concerts and, and other events there. Um, there are recording studios there that you can negotiate and make and possibly record in those studios. Mm. And they have special events, whether, you know, it's it's a private rental or it's a Prince-related event. They have a celebration uh, every year now since his, his passing. They do it um, now. They've timed it to uh, June, his birthday, the beginning of June. And they have um, panel discussions and they have concerts and show old movies of, of him performing and, and play unreleased recordings. So, you know, they, they try to do semi-regular activities out there, I would say. Yeah. Well, John, thank you so much. This is fascinating. What a great history. A bit of a mystery, but uh, I think we've gotten essentially to the bottom of it as much as we're going to get to. And that's why I really appreciate you taking all the time to work on this story because it was fascinating. My pleasure. Thank you. Okay, that's it for today's show. Just a reminder that you can still tell us your favorite State Fair question at the poll that I will put in the show notes. 
Do you have a question you'd like us to answer or feedback about the show? Send us a note at curious at startribune.com. And if you're enjoying this show, please tell a friend about it. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Curious Minnesota. We want to hear from you. Ask questions and read more stories online at startribune.com backslash curious. Our show is recorded at the Star Tribune's headquarters in beautiful downtown Minneapolis. And our music is produced by Matt Gilmer. If you like the show, please rate us on iTunes or leave a review. And until next time, stay curious. <laughs>